0: Good morning. morning. All right. If you are uh, visiting here, my name is Matt and uh, the lead pastor here. And um, we're blessed that you're here. Uh, I'll tell you that uh, this morning, man, we have a a lot to go over, not only different things that are going on, but really uh, this morning we are going to be in Matthew chapter 24. I want to preface it by saying that it is one of the most controversial scriptures in all of the Bible uh, because it deals with end times prophecy. And these different views of prophecy and how people see that, so uh we're going to ask the Lord to bless our time, amen because uh we can't we can't understand things, we can't apply things to our lives, we can't live it unless the Holy Spirit helps us so so let's go before the Lord, Father, this morning, we are grateful to be here because Lord, you have spoken to us in your word, Lord, not uh, just because uh, you desire to put things before us that we can't understand, but Lord. You want to encourage us. You want to help us to grow on our walk with you. You want to help us to understand these things. So we are asking that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us. And Father, we pray that you would cleanse our hearts. Um, Lord, may there be something here that as your Spirit speaks to us, God, that we would be ready to listen and ready to obey. And God, I know that uh, obedience is not a word that uh, our our flesh likes. Um, We don't really like to obey, but God, we pray that you would help us to realize that in in obedience to your word is blessing and uh, life, and uh, we thank you. And we thank you for your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, last week, uh, we were in Matthew chapter 23, and one of the things that we saw was that Jesus was really, uh, he, was, he was laying the smack down on the Pharisees and the scribes. I mean, he was, he was coming against them. At first, he talked about them, but then he talked right to them. And he explained to these uh, religious leaders and hypocrites that were really wearing masks, that there were some things that they were doing wrong. And the first thing that we saw was that they had a false righteousness. Now, again, before we pick up rocks to throw at the scribes and Pharisees, I don't know if I were alive then if I would have been a scribe and Pharisee uh, at the time of Christ. Um, There were some of them that were really seeking the Lord. And then Jesus's word started to come true in their lives and the Holy Spirit started to convict them and they really started to listen. But I'll tell you that sometimes we could have a false righteousness just like them. How can we do that? By by obeying certain parts of God's word and absolutely ignoring other parts. We could say, hey, there's these real big sins and those are the sins that you can get arrested for. Those are really bad. But when it comes to pride and not caring about other people and being selfish, it's almost like acceptable sins within the body of Christ. And that's a false righteousness. See, God wants us to reflect his heart and we're to, we're to love him and we're to love others. There was also a false motivation. What was the motivation of these guys, the scribes, the Pharisees, religious leaders? Do you remember that? Do you remember? What did they want? Image. Image. Thank you. Image, do you remember the Andre Agassi commercial, Image is Everything? Maybe you're too young to remember that, but the, that was a commercial, Image is Everything. And and it was all about how people thought about them, um, the opinions of people. And you know what? We could have a false motivation today by wanting everyone just to like us. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with wanting people to like you and uh, liking other people, but I'll tell you that if that becomes the main motivation, then we care so much about what people are thinking about us that that becomes more important than what God thinks about us. And their false motivation was that they wanted other people to see them as holy. They wanted other people to see them as, as righteous. And maybe sometimes we could have a false motivation when it, comes to, when it comes to serving, because we're thinking that all of a sudden, not only will people see us as better, but, but God will love us more. Maybe, maybe if I really serve, maybe if I really help out, maybe if I really give, then God will love me more. And did you know that you can't make God love you more than he already loves you? See, his love is unconditional, which means, yes, we could do more for the Lord. And that's a blessing. It's a blessing for us. It's also something that shows our love for God. But it doesn't cause God to love us more during that time. Then they also had a false sense of greatness. See, we have a way of looking at greatness. It's the person that wins the Grammy It's the person that wins the Emmy, the Super Bowl trophy. It's always that person that's the greatest. But in God's eyes, if he said, if you want to be the greatest, learn to become a servant of all, which means that there are some people that are probably great in God's eyes that aren't so great in the world's eyes. And there are some people in the world's eyes that are great that in God's eyes, not so much. It's kind of like um, our world's list of who's who is God's list of who's that. And our list of who's that is God's list of who's who. And so we, you know, I remember when we graduated from college, who's who am- amongst uh, American colleges and universities, I'm in there. And, uh, and not only am I in there, they said, hey, do you want one of these books? And if you want one of these books, you could pay to get a book. See, they put me in there, I think, because they wanted my money. And I would think, wow, great, I'm in there. And I want to show other people that I'm in there. So I'm going to buy one of those books. So uh, again, false sense of greatness. Then he gets into the woes. And because they were false in all of these things that they did and they were zealous for these things, man, what a miserable, miserable place to be. When we have a false motivation, when we, when we really are works-based and we want other people to see us, that's miserable. Because I'll tell you what, it's a miserable place to try to measure up to other people's expectations. A legalistic lifestyle and, and a lifestyle that says I have to perform in order for God to love me and I have to be better than other people, that's miserable. That's miserable. You know what? It's it's this grace that leads us to the Lord. And then we also saw Jesus's heart, um, not heart, see he as a heart, <laughs> Jesus's heart for hypocrites and semis. Uh, hypocrites are those full on people that are wearing a mask. They're trying to deceive other people and God still has a heart for them. But he also has a heart for the semi. And a semi is like me. You know, the person that you know what God's word says and then you look at what you do And you're trying to do what God's word says, but you fall short. And it's not an intentional hypocrisy. It's more of a a falling short on a daily basis. Now, sometimes people look at Christians and say, hey, you know what, Christians, they're just like anyone else. And in some ways, that's yes, that's true. We are just like anyone else. But after being saved by God's grace, it is absolutely important that we have a desire to please God, that something has changed in my life. That the things that I used to be able to do and have no conviction over, when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, he begins to convict us. He begins to show us what's right and wrong. And so God has a heart for hypocrites and for semis. And so you remember we ended chapter 23 last week with him lamenting over Jerusalem. In verse 37 of Matthew 23, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So this morning, the question is, are you willing? Am I willing? When God reaches out to me, am I willing to say, God, take me? Am I willing to say, God, I want to follow you? It's like Doug was sharing uh, with this, this young person that he was about ready to baptize and That was an obedience to God's word. They wanted to be baptized. But then there was the question, have you received Christ as your Lord and your your Savior? And they had not yet done that, but they were willing. So this morning, are we willing? Whatever God says, whatever God shows me. And so this morning, if you would turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24, uh, we are going to look at the coming kingdom. The theme of the book of Matthew is the king and his kingdom. Now, last week, we talked about being semis, and, and uh, we talked about how sometimes there are pockets of disobedience in our lives. Um, when I was in science, there was something called a, a, a Petri dish. And what would you grow in that? Bacteria. Bacteria. Thank you. Yeah, you'd grow like—it's the perfect condition for something to grow um, sometimes we'd put like a piece of a sandwich in there. And that was kind of a gross thing. And I have these, these petri dishes in my refrigerator. They're just in plastic bags. But um, you know, you're you digging through and you find an old sandwich or you find vegetables that turn to soupy goo or whatever. I, I look at an incubator of sin and I look at an incubator of, of just doing what I wanna do in my life and in our lives collectively. And I'll tell you, one of the ways that sin begins to fester and grow is when there's no, um, there's no sense that there's ever going to be consequences. Think about the person that, that gives in to a temptation. And in their mind, they're thinking, the consequence, yeah, there's consequences. But here's how the devil deceives us. The consequence is never as bad as the payoff. It's what the devil tells us. Or the devil tells us, maybe, hey, you know what? You're not gonna get caught. Or maybe uh, you might get caught, but that's gonna be way, way, way down the road. So this morning, when I consider this um, chapter in the book of Matthew, I think that one of the things that God wants to do is he wants to motivate us. And we're going to see how he motivates us here in a moment. Now, uh, depending upon your background, you have, I have, we have different ways of interpreting Matthew chapter 24. Now, now, some of you have a background. This is the first time you're ever hearing of this type of prophecy. So if this is the first time, just ask the Lord to guide you. Just say, Lord, help me to understand this and, and realize that God speaks to us in his word because he wants to teach us. There are other people that your background was, was uh, maybe you're really fervent into prophecy And you were expecting Jesus to come back in in a certain time period, and he didn't, and you're kind of lethargic and sleepy now because it didn't happen in that time frame. When my brother was in high school, he became a Christian the summer of his junior and senior year. He came back to high school. He came back his senior year, and he was an A and B student, pretty smart guy, turned to all D's and F's, and then all F's, and just checked out of school my my mom and dad were wondering you know what in the world is going on especially my mom so she asked my brother hey what why aren't you studying you know why aren't you doing your homework and he said why do homework jesus is coming back now he's he's 12 years older than me so you can just imagine this is you know way back and and uh and he said why why do homework It, it, it doesn't matter she goes what do you mean it doesn't matter well why get a job Jesus is gonna come back and, and any day now, all I have to do is go tell people about Jesus. That's, that's the most important thing I could do. She's telling him, no, Rich, you have to, you have to study. You have to." And he, and he kind of checked out until he started talking to a pastor and the pastor told him, you know what, you're absolutely wrong in your approach to this. Yes, you should have a passion for God and an urgency and, and all of these things, but to check out, that's, that's not what God's called us to do. There are other people that maybe in your background, you you looked at prophecy as just this weird part of the Bible. You know, there are other parts of the Bible that are really good, and there are some parts that are just weird. Those are the skip it parts because we can't understand it anyway. So, in these three ways to interpret Matthew chapter 24, the first way that a lot of Christians and a lot of Christians that love Jesus and that are serious students and teachers of the Bible is that they look at Matthew chapter 24 and the events in Matthew chapter 24 are mostly in the past, which means after the resurrection of Christ, when Jesus ascended into heaven, that most of the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 24 happened within 40 years. Okay, so there are some people that hold that view that love Jesus and are good Bible teachers and are are solid in their walk with God. There are others that read Matthew chapter 24 and they look at it and and the events, there are some events that are in the past, but mostly many of them are going to be in the future. Again, good, solid students of the Bible that love the Lord and are serious in their scholarship and in their study of God's word. And let me share with you a third group. This is the agnostic approach. And, And let me explain this. An agnostic says literally, we can't really know things for sure. But in the agnostic approach to Matthew chapter 24, there are some people that do love Jesus and have a, a strong walk with God. But but to say that they're serious Bible scholars and students, I cannot say. And let me explain why. When Jesus said that the most important commandment, remember when they asked him about what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? Shall love the Lord your God with all your... Heart, soul, mind, strength, okay? Remember that mind is a part of it. And some people say, well, it's all about just loving God and loving people, and I would agree. But part of loving God is loving him emotionally, loving him spiritually. We pray, we sing, um, we, we give, we serve. But one of the ways that we worship God is also worshiping God intelligently. And because he has given us his word, we're not just supposed to say, hey, it's all about how we feel because God has exalted his word above his name. In his word, it says that that's, that's how important God's word is. So when we study God's word, what we realize is that he's teaching us. And many of these things that God has included in his word, all of these things that God has included in this Word, in his word are for us today, which means that there is some reason the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to be able to include this in scripture. So this morning, I I agree that there are different ways of interpreting and looking at scripture. That third way, the agnostic approach to say, well, we can't really understand this, so let's skip this part. I I don't think that that's a good method. And I want you to turn to some scriptures that we are going to look at about prophecy. Um, This is a a two-part study maybe three i'm hoping two we won't get through it all today for sure um because it's it's also an introduction into just biblical prophecy and i want you to turn with me to some of these verses the first one being in the book of luke so in your bible matthew mark luke if you don't have a bible behind uh, the chairs there there are bibles where you could follow along and we are going to be in luke chapter 19 and we're going to look at some of these scriptures in regards to prophecy now, in Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, this doesn't really seem like a prophetic scripture as much to us now because we're looking backwards. But when Jesus was, um, when Jesus was saying these words, they were absolutely prophetic. In, it, it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 39, some of the Pharisees, they called him from the crowd. And remember, this is the triumphal entry, um, Palm Sunday. They said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. So remember this, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And, and remember, there are many there that, that rejected him. And what does he say? It says in verse 42 of Luke 19, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. In the Old Testament, um, when you, you look at God's word predicting these certain things that are going to come to pass, one of those things would be Messiah, the prince. That's Jesus, when Jesus would come into Jerusalem. And what Jesus is saying is that here it is in in scripture, in my word, you've already seen these things, but you, you missed it. And because you missed it, you're also missing the day of your visitation. He's saying, if only you had seen these things, and we know in the book of Matthew that he wept over Jerusalem, right? See, Jesus wanted them to understand the times in which they were living. Now, there may have been some Jews that said, well, these prophecies, they are, um, they're too difficult for us to understand. So really, they're not for us. These are sealed. But one of the things that we see in prophecy, for example, in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation itself, it means the revealing the apocalypse, it's the revealing of God's word. So prophecy, it reveals something about God. Therefore, it is important. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, you realize that that much of the Old Testament was prophecy. Now it's history, right? Because we're looking back. But when the Old Testament was written, it was prophecy looking forward. And there were many people that missed Messiah. They missed the Christ because they said, well, maybe these things are sealed or, or maybe they didn't study those things. Or maybe it was just the heart was sealed off. And I'll tell you what, here's a practical application. When our heart is sealed off to the things of God, we will miss some of the things of God. See, I don't want to miss the things of God. I, I don't want to miss God telling me, hey, you should, you should move here. Uh, maybe for some of you single people, you don't want to miss God saying, hey, you should marry her, right? You should marry him. You don't want to miss that. Or a job or an opportunity at a, at a school or, or something that God is calling you to do. And if my heart is closed off to God, then there are going to be things that I miss. And I think that some of them missed God's word because their hearts were closed off. Turn with me now to the, the next scripture, which is Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Last book of the Bible, verses 9 and 10. Now, in Revelation, John has this uh, revealing. God shows him these things that are going to take place. He shows him a glimpse of heaven. And then in verse 9, it says this, Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, so this angel, this messenger says to me, um, these are the true saints of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. Now listen to this. For the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. So do I want... Do I, do I want the testimony of Jesus? Absolutely. Then prophecy should be important. See, for someone to say, well, Jesus is important, prophecy, that's just uh, for those guys that like uh, too much sci-fi. You know, uh, prof, you know, Jesus is really important, but the, the people that watch X-Files, they really like to get into conspiracy theory and stuff like that. No, what the Bible is saying is this. It's saying that the spirit, um, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Because Jesus is prophesied in the Old Testament. So then when Jesus, towards the end of his life, the last week of his life, starts to lay some things out about when he's going to come back, I think it is really important for us to be able to listen. Now, not to predict the day or the hour. Because again, some people, because they, they thought Jesus was going to come back at a certain time and he didn't, they they no longer follow Jesus. And we live in this weird time of... Uh, apocalyptic literature and movies i mean so many movies that come out now are about disasters and the apocalypse um do you remember y2k any of you guys remember y2k do you remember that how scary that like y 2 ks coming we better move to idaho and dig a well and buy guns you know and stock up on food and you know that's that's kind of the deal um and it didn't happen and then some people are like now what do we do we sold everything and we have this this big piece of property um 2012, you know, the Aztec calendar, you remember that, the Aztec calendar, 2012, it's gonna, there's, all, in, in the day and age in which we are, there are people that are looking to dates and times and no one knows the day or the time, you know, or the hour, I mean, but but it is important that we don't just disregard prophecy is not important. It's the spirit of, Je- it's the testimony of Jesus. Now, one last scripture, and I'm I'm sharing these with you not only to have an understanding of the importance of prophecy, just before Revelation, you have Jude and 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and before that, you have 1st and 2nd Peter. I'm sharing this with you because one of the things that you're going to see in 2nd Peter chapter 3 is that there are some people that say this is stupid to even try to understand, or this is dumb to try to look at the Bible, to try to figure out any of these things. Now, in 2nd Peter chapter 3 Peter writes beloved um, and by the way does anyone know the audience in which Peter was writing to he was writing to a persecuted church by the time Peter was writing these letters the epistles 1st and 2nd Peter the church was suffering a lot of persecution there were a, a lot of Christians that were being martyred burned killed fed to lions, tortured, beaten, ridiculed, mocked, put in, in public displays of humility. And in order to encourage and strengthen them, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter reminds them to look forward to the future. And he says this, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. What does Peter wanna do? He wants to remind them. He wants to stir them up that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, and of the Lord and Savior. So what is Peter saying? He's saying that in the Old Testament, the prophets spoke, and then the apostles, God gave this to the apostles, and also Jesus spoke about these things. In verse 3, he said, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now notice, what Peter is saying is that there will be some people that mock, saying, well, everything continued just as it's been since the beginning. And people say that today. And I think that the pendulum in the Christian world kind of swings. Yeah, it swings back and forth. If you've been a Christian more than 20 years, you've seen a lot of things come and go, haven't you? A lot of fads, a lot of teachings, and and you see this pendulum swinging back and forth. Well, in the 1980s and the 1990s, um, Tim LaHaye, who's a good Bible teacher and and scholar, he teamed up with another guy named Jerry Jenkins, who was a, a novelist, and they wrote this series called Left Behind. The Left Behind series, I remember reading the first one. It was, it was awesome. I was so into it. And the second one, and then like, I started getting like kind of sleepy by the time I got to the, I'm like, now they want to sell some more books, but I, hopefully their motive was more than that. But um, I, it, at first, it just took everybody by storm. Like, wow, this is, this is amazing because it gives a scenario of what things might look like. But I'll tell you what, some people took the Left Behind series and held on to that like that was the Bible. And because they held on to it like that was the Bible and expecting certain things to happen in certain timelines and look a certain way, and it hasn't happened yet, and now we're here 15 years later or whatever it might be, then then some of them got tired, some of them got weary. But let me tell you that some people did kind of what my brother did. When my brother was a senior in high school, he kind of checked out. And all he was doing was waiting for the glorious appearing. All he was doing was waiting for the trumpet, for, for the Lord to call him back. But it's important that when we study scripture, it's not just so that we could get this head knowledge and say, wow, look at this, I understand this. Because I know some people that have studied prophecy and are prophecy buffs and experts in, in all of these things that haven't really gone outside of their own neighborhood or outside of their own four walls to go reach people for the gospel. And see, that's, that's where the pendulum started to swing. I think, I think some of the, the younger generation started saying, hey, what about things like justice? What, what about some things like, like human trafficking? What about some things like um, the homeless? What about some things like um, the disenfranchised and, and the orphans and the widows? Shouldn't we care about them? And, and the pendulum swung so far to the other side is that sometimes now people are saying prophecy and that kind of stuff in the Bible isn't important. This is the important stuff. It's not either or, it's both and. And in the both and, as we read and as we study the spirit of Jesus, the, the, the whole testimony of Jesus in prophecy, that means our hearts should be even more so, hey, if time is short, we should reach these people. If time is short, I shouldn't be messing around. Also, I, I should just make sure that I'm doing the things that are the most important with my time because I want my life to last. Now, let me share with you that in some ways, this, um, this motivation that we have, that time is short, it probably is even more of a motivation for people that are a little bit closer to their end. Uh, I think that there's a seriousness that starts to happen with life that you start to realize what is really important. And it, if, if someone is 60 years old, they're thinking, yeah, I don't have 50 more years. I, I, I don't have 40 more years. You know, I might have 30 more years at the most. There's, there's an urgency. Someone's 70, there's a little bit more urgency. Someone is 80, my, my dad is 86 years old and my mom is 83 years old. And at their age, they look at what is really important and they are trying to transfer those things, not only to me, but to my kids. They're trying to pass those things on to their grandkids because they look at things and, and how many things that were important to them when they were younger Aren't quite as important now, and they're starting to see things maybe a little bit more clearly. But to those that have a lot of time left, I think one of the ways that prophecy serves is to realize none of us knows. None of us knows the day or the hour. Now, again, like I said, it's going to be a few weeks, or (laughs) at least going through Matthew chapter 24. Turn with me to Matthew 24. With that as the background, that's the longest introduction I think I've ever given. We're going to look at just a few scriptures, then we'll get more in depth um, next next week. In Matthew chapter 24, and by the way, I put this up here, the the motivation here. When we realize that time is short, that God can blow the whistle, he can blow the trumpet at any moment, that should motivate us for purification for living. It should motivate us for edification, for mission, to be encouraged, like, hey, we got to be about it. And the third thing is purification. Oh, wait, it should be one more. It should be expectation for hope. Um, the book of Second Peter was written to encourage persecuted Christians. Do you know in communist, um, communist Soviet Union, you know, it was communist, the USSR, and then also in communist China. Do you know what books are, are outlawed? The Bible, but then they started giving parts of the Bible. What parts, even to this day, in many areas are still outlawed? The book of Revelation is outlawed. Why? Because it starts to get Christians or people looking forward to the future and looking to the king of kings, not to the government as the, the, the cure. The government in communism is supposed to be the cure that's supposed to help and, and uh, save everything and everyone should look to the government. So books of prophecy are are not, Um, you know they're outlawed but when I was talking to uh, one one Armenian uh, he was talking about when the Soviet Union came in and he talks to his parents and his grandparents about what that was like he said the Christians when they went underground and they couldn't worship publicly we began to read the book of Revelation because it gave us comfort we didn't read it like westerners looking like what day and what's the sign we read it for comfort because it drew us close to Jesus I pray that this morning this is what it does so in Matthew chapter 24 these two questions are going to be asked it says Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples they came up to show him the buildings of the temple remember he had just given the woes to the Pharisees and the scribes maybe being discouraged maybe his his apostles his disciples said well look at these look at these great things you know look at the temple this is a great way of worship of God and Jesus said to them do you not see all these things assuredly I say to you Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, again, we live in an apocalyptic uh, genre era. Um, There was recently a movie, I think it was called White House Down or something like that. And and then maybe uh, last year, I think it was called Olympus Has Fallen. And how many movies are out there with with the picture that you see of, of the White House blowing up? And the White House blowing up is something that it's supposed to startle us because we can't fathom the White House getting hit. Now our Pentagon has already gotten hit. Twin Towers have gotten hit. Um, you know, the, it, It's not impossible for the White House to get hit, but it's almost like not the White House because that, that represents our seat of power. And so for the, those that were worshiping God as, as Jews, they saw the temple and the temple was amazing. This was a, a temple that had been rebuilt And this rebuilt temple was so beautiful that the top of the temple was said to look like it was snowing because the gold was reflecting off the sunlight. This is how incredible the structure is. And they could not fathom or imagine, the same way that maybe we can't fathom or imagine our White House being obliterated, they could not fathom or imagine the temple being destroyed. Now, when we went to Israel, the foundation stones of the temple, don't think of like, Uh, this don't think of like you know stone you know faux finish you know and and that type of deal I'm talking granite bricks tons that are that are the size of like that that beam to that beam and even a little bit wider and about 10 feet in, in height and weighing tons and tons these are giant foundational stones and then a little bit smaller as you would go up but still these huge gigantic bricks and and when when Jesus said that They were like, there's no way, there's no way this, this temple's ever coming down. In in fact, even if it could come down, why would anyone take it down? Because Herod helped them rebuild this temple because he wanted this, this structure. And there was gold everywhere. And it was one of the wonders of the world at the time. And so I believe that in their minds, they were thinking, if this comes down, this must be the end of the world. Cause there's no way. I mean, I think in many ways, like, wow, if the White House gets hit, we're close, you know, and and that's kind of like our our security. So maybe they were thinking, hey, there's no way. And, and Jesus says, but look at these things. Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, next week in the slides, I will have a, a picture from when I was in Israel, standing on some of these stones that after the walls were broken down, they left them there as a memorial, and every stone was gone. Every it, it, so much so that after it was burned in in AD 70 and this temple is destroyed that not only did they burn it with fire but the gold began to melt and they began to to set things on fire to get the gold out of the temple so these things that jesus is saying they're they're going to happen some of this part you know this happens during this generation that's alive right here but you're going to see that there's this double reference okay so um It says in verse three, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, this is called the Olivet Discourse. So Jesus is teaching them from the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately now. They're saying, hey, I mean, they were walking out of the temple and he said this, it confused them. They said, tell us, and here's the questions. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So notice that there's a little bit of a two-part question here. The first part is this. Tell us, when will these things be? In other words, when will this temple get destroyed? You know, when will these things happen? And then the second question is this, it's what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, remember that in the Old Testament, there was the tribe of Issachar, and it said that they had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And I pray that when we study this, that we have an understanding of the times to know what we ought to do. Because what happens is now Jesus begins to teach them about these things that will take place. Uh, read with me in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. It's the first thing he said. they said, hey, when is this going to happen? He says, okay, you got to be careful. Make sure no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Um, in other words, before Jesus gives signs, in a sense, he's giving some non signs and a non sign, uh, a sign that he, you know, it, it, a sign that shows, hey, it's not Jesus coming is that there will be false prophets. There'll be false teachers that will deceive others. Um, many will come in Jesus name. Now, when we pray in Jesus name, we're praying in line in accordance with what he would want. Um, but yet sometimes people take Jesus's name, don't they? for their own purposes. They say, well, vote for me because whatever. And then they, they show in their voting record and in the things that they do that they're different or they're the opposite. See, when it comes to counterfeits, counterfeits only come after the original. And it's important in, in the US Treasury Department, they're, they're taught to study the original, what's authentic and what's real. And when they know what's authentic and what's real, then they could spot what is false, I don't know all of the cults that are out there. Sometimes people ask me questions, what about this cult? What about this teaching? Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. I I don't know all of those. But I know the original. And I know if something doesn't line up with the original. And I I know God's word. And if it doesn't line up with God's word, then I know that that's false. And Jesus says, beware that you're not deceived. In verse six, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass but notice he's saying, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now the 20th century was unparalleled in the scale of war and efforts to wipe out other human beings by other human beings. Genocide, like never before in the 20th century. And I believe the 20th, first century, if the Lord tarries, will look the same and even more so. And there's, there's since World War One. Uh, which was considered, do you know what it was called before? It was called the war to end all wars. That was what World War One was called. Since World War One, there has not been a single day of world peace on our planet. Wars and rumors of wars, things um, continue in that way. But notice Jesus isn't saying that any one war is going to be the sign. That's not gonna be the sign. You know, wars and rumors of wars. And, and then, and then it says, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And then it says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, when I think of famines, I look at our world and, and there should be no starvation on planet earth right now with all of the technology and all of the resources and all of the money that we have, but we have famine all over the world because just of greed, because of of just a lack of being able to help other people, other resources. So there still is famine. There's pestilence. I mean, what a crazy thing that in our, our day and age today that you would figure by all the technology and by all of the science and immunizations that we would get rid of a lot of these life-threatening diseases. But isn't it like every year now there's this new thing, whether it's SARS or avian flu or bird flu or pig flu, or you know, there's some new thing that's coming. And, and there's pestilence even to this day. And there's earthquakes, there's always been earthquakes, but when you study the geological record, our our world is tense, not only emotionally, but even the plates. If you look at the number of earthquakes, even in the last 30 years, and the intensity of those earthquakes, they're happening in more frequency, and they're happening in more, um, the strength of the earthquakes. But that's not the sign. But let me explain this. He said, it's like, Jesus said this in verse eight, these are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, another translation says, these are the beginning of birth pangs. That's a word that could be used for birth pangs. You know, Deanna had, you know, when she went through the birth pangs, you know, with each one of our kids, is it time? You know, is it time? Uh, no, that's a Braxton Hicks. You know, it's, it feels real, but it's not real. But what do they say? If it is real, not only do they come more intensely, but in more frequency, more often and more intense. And all of these things collectively, there's always been wars, there's always been earthquakes, there's always been famine, but there's more and it's more intense. And then it goes on to say this, Um, Jesus is speaking here, he says in verse nine, um, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now, next week, we are going to go into this portion of scripture where it really deals with uh, this area called the tribulation period. Now, again, some of these things did happen within 40 years after Christ. But there's also what is called a a precedent or a, a, a type. So, for example, there was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes that came into the temple. And what he did is he sacrificed a pig in the temple, which some people can say, well, that's the abomination of desolation, which occurred before Christ. But yet Jesus is talking about, no, there are worse things that are going to happen. In fact, he's going to talk about it in this chapter. He says, as such, the world has never gone through, nor will ever go through as intense as this. And we'll look at that a little bit more next week. But let me end with this. The bottom line in this teaching is not so much that we become experts in in looking at signs as much as we look to the Lord because when it comes to looking to the Lord, the question is, are you ready? I've shared this before. Um, I used to be a, a track and field coach and my specialty was the sprints. Um, uh, myself, I was talking to my friend Javier who was here visiting last week and he said, Matt, you've never been a good distance runner. You know, when I run, a mile, that's pushing it. Two miles, man, I, I went i went really far, you know, two miles. That's a long way. And some of you guys are like marathon people. You run like half marathons, like it's nothing. And I'm just going, man, distance running is like hitting your head with a hammer. It doesn't feel better until you stop. But um, So sprinting, you just run fast, and then it's over. And yet, when I would try to get my sprinters to run the 400, which was going to be the basis for our team, that's one lap, that's a quarter mile about, Nobody wanted to run the 400 when I took over the program. They all, run, they all wanted to run the 100, the shortest race. And I'm trying to get them to see that by running the 400, you're better at running the 100. So I'd say, okay, today we're going to run 200s, you know, and, and at 190, they would, they would just slow up. Like the finish line is right there. They would kind of slow up. So I said, okay, you guys slow up. We're going to run 300 meters now. And they would slow up at 290. Okay, we're going to run 400s. And they would slow up at 390, always right before the finish line. And I was frustrated because I couldn't get them to run through the line. So I started doing this new thing. I said, get to the line. everyone's like, okay, what are we going to do? I said, you are going to run as fast and as hard as you can until I blow the whistle the second time. First whistle, you sprint. Second whistle, I blow again. So they're like, well, how far do we have to run? You don't know. It's whenever I blow the second whistle. So... You know, they get on the line and they start running and they're running as fast as they can. I blow the whistle, they take off, I blow it again, and and I I let them go fifty meters, fifty yards. And the guy that is in first, the girl that's in first, I say, Hey, you know what? You're done today. You came in first, go go take a shower, you're done. Everyone else looks at me like, What are you doing? Everybody else, get back on the line. So they get back on the line, I blow those up, they start sprinting as fast as they can. And then 100 meters, I blow it again. And whoever's in first place, you go rest, go, go take a shower. Everyone else get back on the line. So they started to say, okay, he wants us to run as hard as we can until he blows the whistle again. So the next time I blow the whistle, they start running and they're, they're sprinting. And you know what? I let them go 500 meters and they're <laughs> done. <laughs> you know, they're like trying to get across. Because they were going as fast as they can. And then first place, you're done. So then they get back up to the line and they're thinking, I'm not going to give it my all because he's going to go 600 meters, you know, 30 meters. And that guy's, and what I got them to think and realize, they never know when I'm going to blow the whistle. Therefore, because they never know, they are always supposed to run hard. And it could be that if you're running hard, then you get to go home. And you see, as I started doing that, the Lord started to speak to me that one of the reasons I believe that Jesus didn't just come out and say, I am coming back in this certain year is because if we knew that, we would stop a year, you know, we would slow up or maybe just speed up at the end and go slow all the way up until that point. But because the imminency of Jesus coming back and his calling us home and we don't know the day or the hour, Lord willing, that causes us to say, God, first of all, I wanna live pure before you. Secondly, I wanna be be all about the mission because I don't know how much time I have to reach these dear people that I really absolutely love. And thirdly, when I'm discouraged with this life, I pray that it brings hope because this life isn't an end in and of itself. And so may we be motivated to love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And part of that is to run, not knowing when the whistle blows. May that motivate us. I pray that this morning, if there is something that God has called you to, and you've been thinking maybe someday, you don't know if you have someday. If you're thinking, man, I'll get serious about my walk with God someday, you don't know if you have someday. And if you're discouraged right now in your circumstances and in your life, may you take heart and may you take comfort that Jesus is coming back that we do know. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us uh, warnings, you've given us encouragement, you've given us exhortation. First of all, Lord, I pray for anyone here that has never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, that when they hear these things, that it doesn't scare them into the kingdom, but Lord, it helps them to realize that, that God, your word is true because you've shown yourself to be true, even in the prophecies of the Old Testament. I pray, Father, for those that are weary. Lord, sometimes we just get tired running this race and Lord, help us to look to You, the Author and the Finisher of our faith. Help us to run hard, and help us to know that, Lord, as we are running this race, that it's more of a it's more of a marathon than a sprint. So, Lord, help us to keep pace. I also pray, Lord, that when I think about running with others, um, physically, Lord, we're always more motivated. We're always more encouraged when we're not running alone. And so God, I pray that you would help us to run this race with one another, encouraging one another. And then Father, I I do pray that it would cause us to have an urgency. Lord, help us not to be lethargic. Wake us up from that. So Jesus, today we worship you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we ask that you would bless the the tithes and the offerings today. May they be offered in a a sense of worship, not out of guilt or, or compulsion, out of joy, out of, i worship unto you. And then Lord, also I pray for our callings. God, help us to fulfill the callings that you have for our lives. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.